This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Think about Lois. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! Elliott. Dodge the eye of this national championship win. A deep throw by Lawrence. A lot of contact. Justin Ross broke free from it. He's down in the end zone. Touchdown, Clemson. Welcome into episode 125 of Press Pass. I'm Kayla Anderson alongside my co-host Joshua Perry. It has been just a bit because we have both been running around. Uh, we've been crazy with the draft. And then Joshua, he's a married man now. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it was, I mean, just as wild of a couple of weeks as you could get. Like you said, I know you were heavy on the draft coverage, doing your TV thing, but also different radio hits and just, you know, making sure that you could be in the know on everything. Um, I had some responsibilities around and surrounding it, but went ahead and tied the knot, went down to uh, Cabo, And uh, it was just me and Madison. um, And we had a a small ceremony back home with family and everything. But, you know, we did our thing down there. um, And it was just beautiful. We're able to get out of town for the first time, really, in about a year. Um, You know, beautiful landscape, nice sun. And we were able to take some great photos as well. So definitely a nice little kickoff to our marriage. I love it. Yeah, I was looking at all the photos. Absolutely beautiful. Um, And it is nice because you haven't been able to get away. I know that. And um, things have been tied up there in Ohio as well in terms of just everything with the pandemic. So I'm glad that you guys got to enjoy it, to celebrate, to um, just enjoy beautiful Cabo. I've never been, but I've always wanted to go. Highly recommend. Awesome. Highly recommend. Yeah, it was great. What? Uh, choice down there in terms of drink well it wasn't wasn't a lot of cocktails going on i was drinking straight don julio well, okay. uh, for yes. a lot of it so you know okay, tequila no so she is a uh a bougie girl so she's drinking champagne I the like whole that. time yeah and i i mean i respect it if you're gonna go in you might as well go all in she's <laughs> like you know 10 a.m sitting by the pool with a, a champagne sure. flute um sure. but you know we had we had some of the Miami vices. We had some of the margaritas. Oh. We had some of the pina coladas, the things you have to do when you're down there. But for me, it was a lot of tequila. For her, it was a lot of champagne. I love it. I don't have a problem with either of them. Well, we will be doing a little bit of a draft recap today because, of course, that just wrapped up in Cleveland, Ohio, which it was, um, let's just say the weather didn't really cooperate. Otherwise, I think it would have been an even Cleveland, better so. audience. I know. <laughs> I was just in my head thinking about Nashville and just the crowd there and just the scenes and nothing against Cleveland at all. I love the people in Cleveland, nice people, but they're just, it wasn't like the feel that you got in the other yeah draft, well you know? and you know pandemic too like they they had yeah. everybody kind of distance out which is a responsible yep. thing to do but like you know the crowds just weren't going to feel the same and I can remember back to the images of the draft in Nashville I mean you talk about Broadway just freaking full of people oh, yeah. and it was the people attending the draft it was also the bachelorette parties who had no yeah. idea that the draft was coming and they were pretty yeah. angry about it um, so just like everything else, it was good to have some semblance of normalcy. You know, this is a big signal that the NFL would, would do an event like this, um, sure. because it signals that we are getting back and that, you know, stadiums are going to have more capacity than a year ago, but I'm also looking ahead to 2022 as well, where wherever they decide they want to do everything and how it's going to be set up, it's going to be live. It's Vegas. 
Oh, oh man. Yeah. I, I might have to make a little trip. Yeah. We were saying, we were joking in our office. We were like, so um, are they going to pay for us to make that draft trip? You might as so, well just come out of pocket on that one and, and chalk it up as a, sure. a, a tax write-off or something. Right. I'm going to go do some individual work over yeah. there. And freelance we'll it. <laughs> exactly. Do some freelancing that week. No problem. But hey, all in all, I, I was excited to cover the draft as were you to probably do the assignments that you had and just to follow it because it is it was a little bit different this year. It wasn't all virtual. You got to see some of the people in person, their families, you know, were there. And I think all in all, it was a fun draft. So I'll start with kind of the headline that we're going to talk about from the get-go. And I know Joshua is not going to be happy about this, but the SEC did dominate the draft and thanks in big part to Alabama. So the NFL selected 65 players from the SEC uh, during the draft, continuing, you know, a really dominant effort by this conference to insert people into the league. Um, So, with 10 picks in 2021, Alabama has had 51 players selected over the past five drafts. And that actually ties USC for the most NFL draft picks over any five-year span. It's crazy that I'm even mentioning USC, but yes, they were once extremely dominant. <laughs> <laughs> and so in big part, you have to look at Alabama, obviously leading the way when it comes to this, but the SEC Uh, Most draft picks, 65. Big 10 was the next conference with 44. Not a huge gap in between, but still um, just the SEC, I don't know, just continues to to be at the top. Yeah, I mean, it's not a surprise. I guess it's not anything that I'm I'm personally like bitter about because, (laughs) yeah, I'm a Big 10 guy for sure, but I'm I'm an Ohio State guy first and foremost. And Ohio State had 10 draft picks as well. So, you know, you're up there in the upper echelon of uh of college football in terms of talent and and that you send to the league um but i i will say there are a couple of of takeaways from these numbers that you're bringing up um Mm -hmm. number one for alabama right 10 draft picks ohio state had 10 draft picks as well this year they led uh ncaa in number of players that they sent to the nfl through the draft this year the Mm -hmm. difference and this is exactly what we saw play out on the field Alabama had six first round draft picks. Ohio State had one, right? Yeah. The majority of Alabama's draft picks were taken in the first and second round. And I think that is the difference is Ohio State is getting elite talent, right? Mm-hmm. Alabama is getting the elite of the elite in terms of talent. And that's why you could see such a, a divide on the football field when it actually came down to playing that game. There were other factors in there. I'm not going to sit there and say that's the only reason why. Um, but th- I mean, that's exactly what you see. And, and with recruiting in the SEC, there's an automatic built-in advantage. We talk about it on this show all the time, but that's where the talent is. Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi's got some great talent. You look to Texas, which isn't, you know, too far away from some of those SEC schools. Like it's all right there for them. And you see it reflected now, like you said, SEC 65 picks, hell of a job. Big 10, 44, um, and then you, you have the ACC that falls in line after that, the Pac-12, the Big 12, right? So the thing to me that I guess is impressive about that Big 10 number is with so few games that were played in the Big 10 this year, they were still able to send that many players uh, to the NFL through the draft. And there's a part of me that would believe that the Big 10 may have had more players drafted and higher draft picks had they had a full season. I'll Mm -hmm. dig into that with this. Uh, If you would have looked at some of the mock drafts heading into 2020, Justin Fields was the surefire number two pick. Um, You had Wyatt Davis, who was going to be a first round draft pick. You had Sean Wade that was going to be a late first round, early second round draft pick. Big 10 only gets to play a handful of games. Ohio State played like eight games. Um, So Justin Fields had some struggles, really couldn't drown it out with some other opportunities to show what he was. He drops down to the 11 slot. Wyatt Davis, who was a great player, didn't have as many opportunities, got a little banged up. So you see him drop out of the the first round, second round. And then um, Sean Wade, who was a guy Mm -hmm. who 
got injured in March, couldn't rehab at the facility throughout April, May, June, July, you know, played through some injuries this year and really did not look good. And so you can make an argument that the the coronavirus impacted Big Ten players as much as it impacted anybody else when it comes to draft stock. So really interesting there. And then I'm going to get this one off my chest and then I'm going to shut up and give it back to you real quick. But you look at the Big 12 and the lack of draft picks is astounding. But here is a statistic that everybody needs to walk away with. You've got Oklahoma, you've got Texas, two of the brands of college football in that conference. Yeah. Northwestern can send two guys to the NFL in the first round. Mm-hmm. Te- uh, the Big 12 had zero first round draft picks. Zero first round draft picks. It's absolutely wild to think about. That is a great point. And I didn't even look at it that way because my focus was on the Pac-12 as it always is and wanting to rip on them. <laughs> but that's a great point. I mean, you you say, okay, the Big 12 is 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 in the mix as being a Power 5 conference, obviously, and, and Oklahoma gets a lot of credit. You know, Texas still getting credit when they haven't been able to do anything and really, you know, separate themselves as an elite program in the past several years. But yet, you know, you see this, you point this out, that they didn't have one first-round draft pick, and that is a head-scratcher. It is. And that is certainly a head-scratcher. Um, when you think about, I mean, not one guy in offense, not one guy in defense. I mean, it's just like, wow. Yeah. That's that's an incredible thing. And I know, look, the Pac-12 didn't have many up there either. Right. Um, but for the Big 12 not to have one. Yeah. And I mean, that's, a, that's I, I guess, the thing. Like, there wasn't one guy that was in elite talent out of that whole conference. Like, it, it, and again, like I'll say it, Northwestern had two first round draft picks, yeah. like elite talent is everywhere, every single school. I mean, we see some years, hell, North Dakota state yes. can get the number three overall yeah. pick. And there can't be one guy out of the big 12 that is worth a first round draft pick. It's, yeah. it's absolutely astounding when you think about it. Well, and I'm going to go back to the Pac-12 really quick because, look, in my opinion, and, and the Big 12 is a Big 12, and, and I just – look, the conference doesn't play defense. I just – I can't give it a lot of respect. Right. I, and I've talked to you about this. I mean, almost every show we're knocking on the Big 12 during the season because the, the conference just doesn't play defense, right? I mean, right. It doesn't get better. But then I look at the most disappointing conference – that just continues to fall back and fall back in every aspect. And it's the Pac-12. It Look, is. I mean, you're talking about a conference that maybe, you know, doesn't get a lot of respect because it's over on the West Coast. And maybe, you know, those athletes aren't seen all the time. But there used to be a lot more draft picks that were first-rounders that came out of the Pac-12. Yeah. And to see that number and to see – them behind the ACC. Granted, I get they didn't play a season at all, almost. I mean, they played like five games, and the ACC did play a full schedule for the most part. But I just feel like that is another concerning aspect of the Pac-12 that continues to kind of like question this whole conference. Like, when is it going to get better? At what point do they have to make a major you know, change. And hopefully that comes with the commissioner getting someone in there that knows what it's, what they're doing. But Joshua, to me, that's concerning. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about it. I mean, you should probably be co-commissioners over there on the West coast. I'm telling you. We figure something out. And and it's everything that you said, like those schools, 100% should be able to recruit better. But um, when you have inept leadership, it's hard to expose recruits to mm-hmm. those programs because mm-hmm. Where, where are recruits really finding out about a lot of these schools on big noon Fox and on, on game day and, Correct. you know, through these TV contracts and through the visibility of these different universities. And there's so much pac 12 after dark, like, mm-hmm. I mean, how, how are high schoolers supposed to be able to consume and get familiar with these programs? Like the reason why 
Ohio State can be relevant is because they're in a time slot that everybody's going to watch every single week. And it's the mm-hmm. same thing with Alabama. And it's the same thing with Florida. And it's the same thing with Texas. Um, even though they're, they're maybe not doing anything with the talent that they're getting in, like, you know, it's still Texas. It's still Oklahoma. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm not going to get too far into that, but I agree with you 100%. There's got to be a better way for them to operate because they're, I mean, some of the programs there that are now museums, like USC feels like a museum and UCLA yeah. feels like a museum and Stanford is a museum right now. Oregon even like. I know. <sighs> what do you do? They're not even, yeah. I mean, and, and Oregon at one point was at least setting the tone. Over it was a cool spot to go to. We, I, I played against Oregon in a national championship game. That wasn't that yeah. long ago. Like it no. really wasn't that long ago that mm-hmm. Washington was playing in a college football playoff. Like mm-hmm. that was what, five, six years ago that we got to experience that. And they've yeah. fallen so far from that point. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this out there. You give me your opinion. So the Tennessee Titans drafted two Pac-12 people, which I was ecstatic about. And I actually, they, they drafted a, a Washington Husky, Elijah Moulton, which I yes. gave crap to. I gave crap to, by the way. I started my interview off by saying, Hey, go Cougs. <laughs> it was hilarious. It was, but then again, I said, we always welcome the great Pacific Northwesterners down here in the South. And then they went on and drafted the, with their final pick in the sixth round, Brady. Um, oh shoot. Brady Brees out of Oregon. He's a safety and they actually are best friends because Brady Breeze's uncle and Elijah's dad, who played in the NFL, played at Oregon together. Oh, nice. So these kids grew up as as best friends. So it was a really cool thing um, to have that story. But my point is, Brady was not afraid to hold back when he said why he opted out last season. And Brady sounded a little PO'd off about the Pac-12. Well, he was I get it. not happy with what the Pac-12 did and how they did it. And he said, you know, we were already told to leave, that we weren't going to play, and I had to move my life to another, you know, area and go back home. And then they call, and they're like, okay, we're playing. And he said, I'm not doing that. I get it. I wouldn't either. And and he just sounded – he seemed – he seemed just as confused as we are with what's going on over there. And that's when the light went on and said, you know what, it's not just us being skeptical about the Pac-12. No, this is happening because the players are skeptical about yeah. what's going on there. I mean, it's just a, a total lack of leadership out there. It's yeah. and it's hard to to kind of palate, I guess, as somebody who's a, a football consumer, how they could be so inept out there, but that's what it is. Um, before we get off of this topic, yes. I want to I wanna do this real quick. So yep. Ohio State, 10 draft picks. Alabama um, had their 10 draft picks. And then there were a couple of schools with nine um, mm-hmm. I think LSU and somebody else. And then Florida and Michigan had eight draft picks. Michigan yeah. had eight draft picks. And I think yeah. over the last two seasons, Michigan has won a total of like 11 games. A shortened okay. pandemic season in 2020, so I get it. But right. they, I mean, Michigan even had a first round draft pick, the whole deal. I know. Um, if you are a fan and a consumer of Michigan football, you have to be scratching your head right now at how you could be a team that can send eight players to the NFL in one year through the draft and be so terrible. That is an indictment on Jim Harbaugh and the fact that he has good enough talent that he cannot utilize and develop properly. And Mm -hmm. in NFL circles, they still see those players as talented, even though they may not have been productive and it did not show off in wins. And then the other question over the last however many years that Jim Harbaugh has been there, how many top-rated quarterbacks has he put in the league as a quarterback guru? None. Right. Exactly. None. Um, it's it's a real problem. Like, I'm, I'm going to just leave it at that. Eight draft picks is phenomenal. There's only four schools in all of NCAA this year that sent more guys to the league through the draft. Um, and they're a dumpster fire. Like, their program is at a crossroads right now trying to figure out you know, what they're trying to be with that amount of talent. It's nuts. Well, and if this doesn't go to sh- go to show you that there's something wrong at the top, 
there's something wrong with the, the guy running the program, um, then, yeah, I think that Michigan is completely idiotic for not seeing that. And, or if they do see it, they're idiotic for not pulling the trigger. That's because it. Because they're setting themselves back, right? That's it. They continue to set themselves back. Joshua, when I covered the program, Ohio State, when I came into Ohio State and you guys went and won the championship the first year I was there, Michigan had just fired Brady Hope, yes. right? And you thought, okay, this is the changing of the guard. They're going to move forward. They're going to start building the program back up. I remember saying this might be fun. There might be actual competition with Ohio State. And then I sat on it for those couple years I was there. And then after I left Ohio, I kept on trying to figure out, hey, is this going to like be a program that can like starts to be on the rise again? And it just didn't. It just yes. didn't go anywhere. And you're right. I mean, you put these draft picks or these draft picks are out here and you've got eight of them. And that's phenomenal for the fact that those individuals are going to the league and hopefully will be successful. But when you look at it as a program, yes. um, what do you take from it? You take the fact that he's not doing what he's supposed to do there to win games at Michigan. So let's run this down. I know we're super heavy on this first segment, but you talked about the changing of the guard, right? And so 2015 was Harbaugh's first year as my senior year. And mm -hmm. it was like a, a number eight versus number 10 matchup for the game. Um, this is after my team had lost to Michigan State and we blew them out like 42 yep. to 13. And then you get the 2016 game, which was a year where people felt like it was going to be Michigan's year. And there yep. was that controversial spot with, uh, with JT Barrett. And, and Michigan might have had like the better roster that year and they lost. And I think that's where the mojo really kind of fell off. And even in 2017, you felt like there was a chance for Michigan to be a college football playoff contender. But then yep. you get to 2018 and Ohio State hangs 62 on them. And then you get to 2019 and Ohio State beats the piss out of them in the big house. And then you get to 2020 and they like they don't even look like they want to play football wow. like they get embarrassed wow. by everybody. And it's it's just been like it kind of went like up a little bit of a hill. It ticked up for a couple of years and then it's been a steady decline and it's inexplicable because of how many components on those teams have been legitimate players. Like, yeah, I, it's hard to conceptualize really. No, it is, but it's a great thing to discuss because nobody really talks about uh, just how bad it's getting and just maybe up there, there's more talk about it, but down here, listen, no one talks about Michigan and that Harbaugh is not doing his job. I mean, that's not even anything you would talk about, right? I mean, I'm sure on the West Coast, people aren't talking about it. But in my opinion, when you've got a program as big as Michigan is and Harbaugh isn't getting the heat that he should be getting, and on top of it, you mentioned the thing about developing quarterbacks. NDSU had a top three pick right. when he was a quarterback, but yet Harbaugh's a quarterback guru, like you mentioned, and right. he has sent one like i mean byu right i mean they had the number two overall pick we're we're talking about so clemson yeah. they've got a little bit of a recent quarterback lineage and, and the next guy they've gotten dj Uyunglele, is going to be yeah. a really good player but like byu yeah. like they haven't had a guy in decades mm -hmm. and then ndsu like yeah they've had some success they've had a couple of guys but like you know that's that's not a, a d1a program like no I mean, you look at some of the schools that have been able to consistently produce quarterbacks. You feel like Jim Harbaugh, who coached Andrew Luck, who is like a generational talent, should mm -hmm. be in that conversation. And he's just not. No, it's 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 incredible. I'm really interested to see what happens this season, Joshua. And of course, you know, we'll talk about it here on Press Pass, guys, because yeah. that's what we do. We talk about the things that maybe not other people talk about as much. So maybe yeah, we're going we're gonna to take it there. Exactly. We're going to take it there. So let's move on. And before I get into my question to you of who you think's going to fit in the best in their landing spots, and I'm only going to, you know, kind of leave it in the, the first round here. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, 
Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. I do want to talk about the fashion returning, okay? Because this is an important topic to me, considering I'm not some fashion guru, but I do appreciate a good suit. I like to sometimes mix it up and, and kind of step out there with a splash of color. Yeah. You know, I mean, you've seen some of my it. fits. I'm, I am not afraid of color right. at all. <laughs> exactly. And so that's why I, I enjoyed seeing the draft in person again this year because yes. some of these players, it they put a lot of effort into it, and I do appreciate it. So I was going to throw a, a few of mine out there, and I actually, when the draft was going on, I, I had asked Joshua, hey, what do you think about this suit? So I really appreciated the suit by Jamar Chase, wide receiver out of LSU. For the draft special, I wore an all-white um, kind of, uh, it was it was like a, a suit, but a dress. It was like a suit dress, and it was all white. And uh, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to wear the all-white. I'm going to rock it. And it worked out really well. And so when I, when I saw him with his all-white suit and he had the, the nice sneakers to go along with it, I thought that was a good look. I usually don't like all white, but for some reason, I thought Jamar pulled that off. All white is definitely difficult. Mm -hmm. And it's a big sign of confidence. But I agree with you. He pulled it off and it wasn't just the white, but he had the ice there with him too. You know, just pulled it all together. Um, And for a guy of his position, like that's, if, if you don't have like a fresh draft day fit, then like, I, I don't think I could draft you. You know, like no. he can't, he, the quarterbacks are the ones you expect to look a little bit corporate. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh my God, can I not say I can't with, um, uh, with, uh, Mar- uh Mac Jones? I can't. Yeah. I mean, I, he, I, he I looked can't. like, he looked like a financial advisor. I just, in that walk. Joshua, yeah. Well, I, I mean, he was walking like an accountant. He was a little, like he had a stick up his behind. He was, he was headed to an audit or something, you know, like. It, but yeah, I mean, those guys, the quarterback's supposed to look a little bit corporate. You know what I'm saying? Like they're supposed to be the guys that like are real buttoned up and they got their, their tie nice and straight. And it's a very classic look. But like when you start getting into the draft, if you're a cornerback, if you're a wide receiver and you are not flashy, then you're probably not draftable in my mind. So no. I'll give you my favorite one. Yeah. Devontae. That wasn't my favorite. Oh, what was and your favorite? That wasn't my favorite. No, no, no. You say yours now, and then okay. I'll say my favorite. All right. So then I'm, I'm, I'm going to save mine. I already said Devontae, and I'll describe it later. I'm going to save my favorite for after you give your favorite. So one that I like was Pitts. Okay. So he had the green. And I am a firm believer that green should be a staple suit color. Like everybody, every man is taught to have a navy, a black, or a gray or a charcoal, right? And those are like your staple suits that you could wear in a boardroom, to a wedding, to a funeral, whatever, right? I think that the dark green suit should become a staple because you can style it just the same that you would style a black, a navy, a charcoal, a gray, a brown, whatever. Um, But it's a little, it shows a little bit more confidence because Mm -hmm. it's still an understated color, but it's not one of the traditional colors. Um, green is the color of life. It's the color of money. So it really works for me where he lost me though, was that dumbass yellow stripe down the side could not get with that. It's just so country, but I I commend him for putting the green on though, as like the primary color that was hot. I do like green. Uh, sometimes when I'm just having like a day where I don't know what color to wear, I'll go into my closet and I have a lot of green or like an like the emerald color, that's yep. my birthstone, which I really like as well. And I'll just pop on a green and it, it does. There's something about that color. It makes you feel good, right? And it does look good usually. I mean, whoever yeah. puts it on, green usually looks good on them. So um, I'm going to go with my favorite pick in terms of fashion was Patrick Sertain. That was the pink? Yeah, cornerback from Alabama. And look, first of all, I've said it to you several times before. If I were a position in football, mm-hmm. I'd be a cornerback. Mm-hmm. Just I I I like the the style. I like the um, confidence. I like the chip on the shoulder. Usually, that a lot of them have. It's just kind of my thing. Um, so no surprise that I like that suit the best. And the reason why is um, the color was out of this world. 
Uh, that is one of my favorite colors. It's like a blush, yeah. which not many, I don't think men could rock Mm-mm. in any sort of capacity. So for him to, first of all, wear that color, I was like, dang, points for that. Um, I loved the, and people will argue with me, I thought the bow tie, the bigger bow tie sure. was great. I thought it was um, a statement along with um, some of you know his chains. He had some very nice jewelry. And then the the shoes yes. with the same kind of velvet, he had like remote control, like Nintendo. Was that what they are? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't get what the times in terms of what kids are playing, but it was like the remote controls. <laughs> um, and I just thought it was like a great look. And he, he just pulled it off really well. The only thing I did not like about it, but again, he pulled it off, so I can't take away points, is the button. It was like a weird button. The it was, it, was kind of sideways. Yeah, and it, was it was like right? open a little bit, right? Like, yeah. But yeah. then again, dude, props for you for taking a fashion risk. Like, I would have never thought to do that. I mean, I just thought he was spectacular. Yeah, I um, really I think it. it's pink is difficult to pull off because if it's like too saturated of a pink, you start to look like a Pepto Bismol. Yeah. Um, and that's not okay. Or like a good and plenty. Yeah. And that's definitely not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're right. Like it was, it was very faint and muted and it was like bright, but it wasn't overwhelming. If that makes sense. It was very yeah. palatable and, um, yeah. it was, it was gentle, but not like feminine gentle, if that makes sense. Right. Exactly. Um, I agree with you. And again, like I, I frame all of these fits through, the confidence that you wear them with too, because it's, I don't think it's uh, yeah. the clothes can't wear the person. The person has to wear the clothes. Right. Well, said. And, and that's what you saw out of that pink fit. Um, yep. Now getting to my guy, Devonte yeah. Smith, um, yeah. that was the look for me, period. Sure. Um, and it starts off with the fact that his build is so slender mm-hmm. that he could pull that off because mm-hmm. it was like, cut so close to his body, so tailored, like the pants were stick straight. And you can't do that if you're a thicker built person. Like that would not be a look for me. He had kind of like that belt around his waist that yeah, I that thought, new. I thought That's it was such a good look. It, it just like, it really just brought some, some pizzazz, some character to a Navy suit. And he was smart, right? If you're going to do something like traditional and boring, like a Navy, then you should probably do it with a, like a, a nice, you know, untraditional lapel like he did. It needs to probably be double breasted like he did because it adds a little bit of character to something that's so boring. But the cut was everything. That belt that he had was fantastic. And then these dudes were wearing like these gold brooches or whatever. That's what I was going to ask yeah. you about. And it was, was like, thing? it was such a like, classic thing to wear like i don't think i've ever seen one of those you see the different lapel pins but that wasn't even like a lapel pin that was like a brooch and it was it was you know his initials such a classic thing he wore it with gold he had the gold accents for the buttons i just thought everything pulled together so well and he is such a refined looking guy to begin with like you know he just he has a a very honest face, if that makes sense. I, yep. I feel like I'm getting weird here describing some of these. Fits, no, no. Like, it just, the, so the look comes together and then you put the bow tie with it, which he wore the bow tie to the Heisman as well. Um, absolute fan of it. I thought it was something that was so classic, but it was so modern and fashion forward. And mm-hmm. he wore it like a damn pro. Yep. It was cool. Okay. I, I'm with you on that. That was those... The, I had mentioned Jamar, Sertain, and then um, um, Devontae. That, those were my three best looks. 100%. So hands down, I thought that was a great look. The fit was spectacular. Um, I feel like he's not one of those like guys that is like, me, 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 me. Not at all. He should be like that because he's he that be. great. Um, I thought that that just fit him. It did. It was classic. Yes, it, it was, that's it exactly really, what it was. Right? It was a it's classic look with a fashion forward spin on it. Absolutely. And you're right. It fits his personality because it was, it, it definitely said I'm here on the scene. I've arrived, but it, it was so understated in the way 
yeah. that it made that appearance, if that makes sense. So now you guys can come to us. I feel like we've now got like the entertainment podcast too. So if you guys need uh, fashion forward advice, yes. if you need us to pick apart a look for you, we can do call it all day. Fashion police right here because yeah. we're down. We can really talk fashion. It, and I, I will not, you can't sit here and shame me for talking about suits uh, and fashion. No. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to do this all day. We're here right? for it. We're here for it. So I know I wanted to bring that up because I, I told you, I was like, we're going to talk fashion. We're definitely going to bring this up in the podcast. I think people enjoy that. Um, and, and people too, that don't always just go with the X's and O's. They kind of like that stuff during the draft. So that was a fun topic to talk about. And speaking of fits, Joshua, the fits in terms of a couple people, when you look at this draft, you look at the players that were taken in the first round, like what instantly stands out to you in terms of who fits the best when you heard their name called and you saw the team and you're like, that's a fit. It's, it's two players for me. Um, The first one is Micah Parsons to the Cowboys. Um, That was a Jerry Jones pick all the way. You know, that, that, yeah, Jerry doesn't make always great decisions. He sometimes just thinks with pizzazz, right. And this was a good pick. It was, it was, it was a good pick. And especially looking at that, linebacker room um you know vander ash we don't know what his health situation is going to be jalen smith like do we really trust his health situation sean lee old vet he's gone um you know like you you get a a plug and play linebacker who can play off the ball he can cover a little bit he can get on the line of scrimmage he can pass rush a little bit which we know jerry jones is going to want to blitz and and rush and do all those different things with the defenses that he likes to roll out and it's funny that we talk about this team not by you know McCarthy. We're talking about Jerry Jones, like he's out here coaching. But know. you know that that's that's how the Cowboys run. Oh, but I, I think that was a, a very smart pick. I think they have a great player um, that's yeah. that's coming to their team. He was one of my guys that I talked about before the draft, and I, I think it really works. The other guy for me is Greg Newsom, who was drafted by the Browns. Um, like when it. you look at like the Browns secondary. Uh, they got Greedy Williams, who is banged up. I can't remember the other cat they got playing corner who's hurt. Denzel Ward's had some injury issues, but it seems like they're they're depending on his health. But now you get a first-round cornerback who you feel like can play on day one. Um, mm-hmm. He can be the third cornerback on the field if they can get the health situation right in the back end. If not, you feel like he can be that cornerback number two who can play right away. And he's going to provide them some flexibility in that secondary simply because they like to have so many DBs on the field. I think the Browns, and this is wild saying it, have one of the most complete rosters in the NFL. Yeah, and I think I their training that. camp is going to be very competitive. But mm-hmm. when you talk about hitting on a first round draft pick, when you're a team that's picking in the late twenties and you, you have some needs, but not any glaring needs. I feel like that pick fell right to them and it was the perfect pick. Okay, so I'm going to ask you straight up. I mean, what did you feel about um, Justin Fields being taken by the Bears? I, I know there was, I mean, surprisingly, I think Bears fans, and I only, I'm not saying this because I'm a big fan of Justin Fields, but I'm saying this because of all the crap that he was put through and all the bad stuff that was put on his name. Bears fans seemed extremely happy about this pick. They should be, and 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 I think. They're happy for a number of reasons. Number one, I think they understand how good of a player Justin Fields I hope is and can be. Um, but number two, this is a fan base that is hungry for their mm-hmm. quarterback of the future. They're hungry for their like franchise quarterback that they can say is their elite guy. Because they, I mean, you've got to go back years upon years upon years to get to that quarterback for that franchise. Um, this is the the weird situation for Justin, though is you feel like the best bet for him is to get in there and play early. Like you don't mm-hmm. want to sit behind Dalton doing all that kind of stuff. Like you want to play as soon as possible because Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace are the guys that drafted you. And I feel like mm-hmm. it was definitely Nagy who really pushed for that pick because Justin's a guy who fits well into the type of offense he wants to run. But if they struggle, if they kind of feel like they want to bring him along, redshirt him, whatever the case is, Nagy and Pace could be fired. And then you have a new GM and a new head coach that have to come in. And they're probably going to want their pick at quarterback. They're probably going to want their system guy. Mm-hmm. Now, I haven't said this yet because I don't want to be inflammatory. But if Matt Nagy's fired, 
the Bears would be stupid to not call Ryan Day. Yeah. And right? like that has to be the first call you make. Reunite those guys. Ryan Day has experience in the NFL coaching quarterbacks. He's a guy who you feel like wants to have a career in the NFL as a head coach. Like that would be the smart thing to do to salvage your 2020 first round pick at quarterback and to also bring in a coach that you know will be able to run an offense that can have some success because he had success running offenses in the league. Yeah, that's different not, conversation. Different I know, day. but that's but, that's again, you kind of perked my ears up here because I'm like, oh, yeah, you know. So for Justin, it's, it's going to be about playing well though, because you know he's he's yeah. got a, a coach and a GM that are uh, they got they're skating on real thin ice. Look, I just hope, in my opinion, put him out there. I mean, I, I I say don't start Andy Dalton. I say get Justin in there if you feel like he has a good camp. Um, I mean, don't beat around the bush. Yeah, I just do it right. You I mean, you, you take a guy in the round. top half of the first That's round. Yeah, throw him do out it. there. Yeah, exactly. So I really quickly, and I'm going to throw mine out here in terms of a guy who I think is going to have an instant impact on this on their team, and then I want to know your opinion on impact wise, right? Like actually what they're going to do because fits something you know fits one thing, impact is another thing. So I think the easy one to throw out there is Trevor Lawrence because, you know, it couldn't get any worse. Like he's, he's a major upgrade <laughs> at the quarterback position for Irvin, right? Right. So, I mean, that's, that's a big, big, um, I would, I would think, you know, we're assured that he's going to at least raise their play a little bit. But my guy is Kyle Pitts from Florida going to Atlanta. And the reason why I say that, I mean, I don't think it's a big surprise, but the, the reason why I say it specifically is because Arthur Smith, the new head coach in Atlanta who was in Tennessee and who we worked with and we got to know really well, he's a tight ends guy, right? Sure. I mean, that's the thing. So he utilized the tight end position in, in Tennessee, like phenomenally. Yes. And, like the tight ends, the way they were used in the Titans system the past couple of years, it was like good stuff. Like it, it was, it was productive. It was hard to shut down. It was successful. It made the offense operate more smoothly. So I just think like him going to Atlanta and working with Arthur and having Arthur as a tight end type of guy, I think he's just going to thrive. I really do. Yeah. I like that. And I also like it from the standpoint of they've got a, a couple of wide receivers down there who I think are good players. And so Pitts isn't going to have to take, you know, the double team, you know, when you're, when you're a defensive coordinator in the league, you're not double teaming the rookie tight end, you know, you're, you're double teaming the veteran wide receiver. And so that's going to open up a lot of opportunities for him. So I agree with you in terms of instant impact and you're right. That system is built for tight ends to be successful real quick. um, Instant impact guy for me, Jamar chase, the Bengals, absolutely, and yep. it's for a number of reasons. Is Zach he Taylor the Bengals? Guy, by the way, was that that was going to be my fit guy? Yeah, like, a good fit. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think it's a good fit. I think it's an instant impact. Um, Zach Taylor, the Bengals coach, he likes to run eleven personnel, which is a wide open offense. You got one back, uh, one tight end. You got three wide receivers out there. So now he's going to have the personnel to really do that. And there's a connection between Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. And we saw what they were able to do the last time they were playing together, magical numbers. And so it seems like the table is set. It seems like it's going to be an offense that is built for a player like him to succeed. And that impact will happen immediately. Yeah, that's a great, that is a great pick. And I, I'm actually excited to watch the Bengals offense um, as I was last year until Joe got hurt. Well, yeah. So I hope he, uh, the line does their work this season. Well, they need to. My goodness. Okay, before we go, man, we have just been talking it up here. I, I know, didn't right? even realize how much stuff we had to get to. This is what happens when you miss a, a week or so of press pass. We have to catch up on everything. So we wanted to bring up a couple of names here, and, and I'm going to start with you. There was a, a, a big transfer that just kind of uh, hopped over from one conference to the other, from one big program to the other, and you brought this up to me. So I'm going to let you – share it and share why you feel like this is an interesting situation. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we'll probably be talking transfers on this show a lot lot more heading into the future. 
just from the state of where college football is headed. And after we talk about these couple of guys, we'll quickly touch on that situation. Um, but Jamison Williams, who's a wide receiver from Ohio State, uh, was a starting wide receiver, probably the third or fourth guy on the roster here at Ohio State last year, um, has mm-hmm. decided to transfer. He hopped in the portal. And out of his top schools, he had, you know, USC, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, you know, just, yep. I mean, some real big schools and ended up transferring to Alabama. And it's so interesting to see a player where now Jamison Williams, the way Ohio State's recruited, was not going to be a starting wide receiver, jump from one blue blood program to the next, where we know Alabama's wide receiver talent is definitely not going to be what it was a year ago with Waddle and Smith and those guys being gone. Um, But this is definitely leaning towards something really interesting where you'll probably start to see some of these programs recruiting in the portal um, a lot more than maybe they used to. Yeah. And that's the thing, like we were talking about this earlier, the portal is now taking on a life of its own because this is clearly like a situation where you don't have to sit out a year, you know, so there's going to be more, I think, good talent in there or just maybe like you had mentioned guys that have experience that another program might look at and be like okay we need a guy but we need a guy now that can come in and play so insert so and so right and that's the situation like you look at Alabama's wide receiver room you lose some talent instead of trying to rush and develop some freshmen that haven't played at all you have the opportunity to jump in the portal you grab a guy from a blue blood like Ohio State where you know he was developed under Brian Hartline you know how good of a player he is you know that he was being coached well at his old school and he's a veteran guy that you can plug and play right away Mm -hmm. I think about Ohio State's linebacker room the way that it is you lose four seniors out of that room and now you got to start some young guys if Ohio State was in a position to maybe they didn't feel like their young guys were going to be the ones that's where you hop in the portal you grab a two or three year linebacker from another school that has some starting experience and you can play them right away. And I think this is going to become a trend for schools that are seeing massive turnover at one position to where we had veteran guys. Now that we don't have veteran guys, we can go find some in the portal that can play right away that have some real game experience. Yeah. I mean, and you can, and again, you just, you can't like fault, these players, I mean, the opportunity has been given to them. And like you said, we've talked about this before. Everybody kind of has their reasons. And if they're given that one shot to maybe start anew or do something different, then, you know, you can't really put anything on them or, you know, be like, well, what the heck? Cause it's, it's like, it is what it is. The opportunity is given to them. They've got their reasons, you know, let them go. And I, um, I think it was not this last week, but early, actually earlier last week, I actually broke a story, <laughs> believe it or not. I don't really care to news. do that. Yeah, I don't, I, it's not something that I, I go and search for, but it's something right. that came to me. And uh, this was a, a USC defensive lineman who decided to get out of USC and uh, decided he was going to enter the transfer portal. And two days later, he decided to commit to Tennessee. And from what I had heard from my source, Um, This was just a situation where he was unhappy with how things went after they recruited the heck out of him. They threw him a big party, said, come to USC. We're going to do it right. Clearly, he didn't get what he was promised. He didn't play as much as he was told he would. And uh, he was like, I'm ready for a change, right? And Tennessee came to him. Tennessee threw their coaches out there to go visit him. And in a couple of days, he was there. So, I mean, everybody has their own reasons that we might not even know about. And the, the problem with a lot of these schools, and you see it with USC, here's another example of a Pac-12 school that just seems like, you know, it's things aren't going right there, right? Like they're, they're maybe saying some things to players and it's, it's not ending up being that way. Or maybe these players are realizing this program is not on the up and up, right? It's not, it's not moving in the right direction. That's just one example I was using, but um, this is just one of those those ads there to Tennessee that I had mentioned. You know, they kind of are getting some new guys now. They got another defensive player, Joshua. Um, let's see here, Jawan Mitchell just announced he's transferring from Texas to Tennessee. Another defensive guy. So 
I mean, you're going to start to see a lot of movement. And then you're going to start to see some of these programs that are getting these guys. It's like, okay, well, they clearly have a plan. They're doing yep. something. Yeah. You know, what they're doing, I don't know. But right. they're clearly making moves. Well, and you, you touched on one thing that we talked about previously on this show. But, like, recruiting is going to definitely change because, you know, you, you can't just gas these players up now and tell them anything they want to hear to get them on campus. You're going to have to be completely honest. Like, if you're, you know – Tennessee, if you're Texas, if you're Florida, Ohio State, Alabama, whatever, and probably Ohio State and Alabama do this and Clemson probably does this, but like, hey, you know, you're going to have to compete and you might have to sit a few years before you can play. You know, some of these other schools are probably telling guys, oh, yeah, you're going to play right away. You're going to play right away. And when they don't, they're unhappy. So you have to communicate honestly with them, set expectations, uh, which is going to be big. But we also talked about this before the show, too. Um, Basketball recruiting has definitely shifted to the portal. And oh, especially yeah. now that it's becoming more of a four and five year game um, with guys deciding that they're going to go play in the G League or they're going to go overseas. Um, those players are valuable. And football, I think, is going to shift to that, not because guys are, you know, they can go pro straight out of high school, but simply because the portal is now a viable option to get legitimate veteran players who aren't necessarily transferring because they weren't good enough. They're transferring because they just want to change the pace. Exactly. And, and that's a good thing to keep an eye on as well. It, it's just, it's going to be a lot different and it just makes things more exciting and more information that we get to share every week because exactly. there's always something to talk about. And so we appreciate you guys tuning in and thanks for bearing with us as we took a week off. There is no way I was going to let Joshua, you know, come back and have to rush and get on a podcast. Like that's not happening. I appreciated uh, that. I was like, he needs, he, he needs to just relax get back in the, the groove of things at home. Yeah. So, truth be told, I was still tipsy off the Don Julio. Exactly. <laughs> well, it would have been fun to have that, but well, yeah. You know. <laughs> I don't know if that would be great TV. <laughs> you know, I guess great podcast. Great, yeah, yeah. Great radio. Well, we appreciate you guys tuning in this week for another episode of Press Pass. We will be back next week and hopefully some new stuff to talk about. Maybe we'll get some you know, kind of breaking news. I feel like we haven't had a lot of that lately. So no, it's been a pretty quiet news cycle for us. I mean, maybe Jim Harbaugh will get fired. No, I'm just joking. Well, I, that, that'd be great. I, 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 I'm never, never calling for anybody's job. No, I'm, I mean, no, I know you're not, but I'm, I'm saying like that. I mean, it would be warranted. It, it would be, it would be fun to talk about. That's all. All right, where can people go to follow you, my friend? You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at RIP underscore JEP. I'm trying to remember the last fun little combo I had on there. It's been maybe a week or so. Yeah, Yeah. and I'm at Kayla Anderson TV. You guys have a great week, and we'll be back here same place, same time next week. See you guys.